because physical abuse is very real and that's a big part of domestic violence, but we can't neglect the other forms of domestic violence that does not, that doesn't leave scars like the emotional, the uh, financial abuse, the sexual abuse. Usually a woman who is physically abused is also emotionally abused. She was probably emotionally abused first. That's probably how it started off before uh, it got, it progressed to the, to the physical abuse. So domestic violence is extremely common. It does not matter your race, your academic background, that can't protect you from it. You're listening to the voice of Rosalia Miller, who is the founder and executive director of the House of the Overcome, which is a nonprofit organization providing free supportive services to victims and survivors of sex trafficking and domestic violence. After serving in the field of human services for over 15 years, Rosalia decided to start her own organization. She is a social worker by profession. She has worked with various at-risk populations, including homeless youth and adult, substance abuse users, transitional age youth, victims of domestic violence and sex trafficking, and probational and police of the California Department of Correction. Faricia received her bachelor's degree in social work from Grambling State University in Northern Louisiana and a master's degree in criminal justice from Boston University. In this episode, you will get a glimpse of how pervasive the world of human and sex trafficking and domestic violence in the U.S. and globally. The House of Overcome is a safe space for women victims of human and sex trafficking and domestic violence. Right now, while we're all staying at home to be safe from the coronavirus, there are many women out there who find that their home is not the safest place for them. They're now locked down with their abuser and have nowhere to escape to. If you are a victim or know someone who's a victim of domestic violence and human and sex trafficking, please listen on to what Vericia has to say and how she and many organizations can help empower you to rise above your current situation. We can all be stronger together. So let's empower each other. Stay tuned and listen on. Hello, friends. This is the What is Public Health podcast with your host, Dr. Ki Chan. What is public health? To me, public health is the invisible force that keeps you healthy every day, and I bet you didn't even know it. This podcast is your source of the latest trend in public health. Hello, friends. I'm here with Varicia Miller, um, who is an entrepreneur and has a background in social work and who's making an impact in women's health and by empowering women in dire situations and her story and her leadership in these situations can help as a community who is dealing through this stressful time right now. Um, Here, I have Miss Miller, who is the uh, founder of the House of Overcome, and her story will help empower you in positions of disempowerment and how she was able to work with women um, to help them lift themselves up, feel empowered, and to recreate the life that they're living now today. So I'm so excited that she is here with us, (laughs) Varicia. And so we would love to learn more about your career journey and, and how you came about in forming your organization. 
Okay, okay. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Chan, for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, my name is Varicia Miller, and uh, as uh, Dr. Chan said, I am a social worker, and I'm the founder of House of Overcome, um, which is a nonprofit organization that works with victims and survivors of sex trafficking and domestic violence. I, I actually, I when I went to college, I was 18 years old when I went to college, and I knew I switched majors a couple of times, actually. I, I didn't in initially go in knowing exactly what I wanted to do, but I know that I'm a sociable person. I'm a people's person. I love talking to people, engaging with people. So I thought that social work would be great for me. I'm really pro-social justice and, and all of that. So I just, and, and I was even back then as well. I'm 42 years old now, just turned 42 two days ago. Um, I always knew even back then that that's something that I wanted to kind of get into. I, I, di I didn't know exactly which route to take or exactly what I wanted to, which, which concentration I wanted to go into. But I was also, I was always into social justice. So I majored in social work, got a bachelor's degree in social work, um, and then decided to, oh, and that was at Grambling State University, which is in Louisiana. Then I decided to go to the East Coast, Far East, New England, Boston University, and got a master's degree in criminal justice. I kind of thought that um, criminal justice and social work complements each other uh, really well. They're, they're two fields that overlap. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what I've been. I started off working in group homes. Actually, the first group home I worked in was called Jermaine Lawrence, which is in Arlington, Massachusetts. Started off working there, worked in several uh, residential programs, whether it be with domestic violence or homeless or um, substance abuse users. Um, but I've, I've worked with the uh, what society would call at-risk populations for a little over 15 years now, and I absolutely love it. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing um, your career journey and, and how you came about in forming your organization now. I mean, the impact of human and sex trafficking is a huge issue right now. Can you yes. tell us more about the impact of human or sex trafficking and domestic violence in the U.S. and globally? Yes. Yeah, so, so human trafficking, it, it could actually, uh, under human, well, human trafficking is, is pretty broad and then it's broken down into two categories, which is sex tra trafficking and labor trafficking. Um, I primarily work with, uh, almost always actually work with sex trafficking victims and survivors. And so sex, sex trafficking is anytime you have uh, someone who is forcing or manipulating or using their abuse, abusing their power to force you to do something that you wouldn't typically do. And usually it's exploiting yourself sexually. So rather that be uh, through, uh, you know, sleeping with multiple men or multiple people per night, stripping the porn industry, it really doesn't matter. Anytime there's some type of sexual exploitation involved for profit, that's sex trafficking. And it's extremely common. And, and, and I think the good thing is that more people are finding out about what human trafficking is, what it entails. Um, I think five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we really didn't know much about it. You may have heard the term, but we didn't know much about it. And I think there's so much information out there nowadays, even with the media. And I do believe the media is doing a good job now of getting that information out there. And then just different uh, trainings and workshops that you may have locally, people are finding out more about what human trafficking is. And that's a good thing. But here's the here's the, the issue. It's still widespread. It's still growing. It hasn't decreased. It's increased. And, uh, and it is a global issue because it's happening all over the world. Um, but 
contrary to popular belief, it's happening a lot right here in the United States as well. As a matter of fact, um, the United States is is one of the primary um, places, uh, countries where human trafficking uh, exists. I live in Orange County, California. I live in Anaheim and people may be familiar with Anaheim by uh, Disneyland and some of the other attractions. Disneyland is only 15 minutes from where I live, but what a lot of people don't know uh, or may not see, especially if you haven't been here before, is that Orange County has its areas, uh, you know, and just because it's a, you know, people call it a wealthy county. Well, not all of Orange County is wealthy and most people who live in Orange County are not wealthy and, and Orange County has a huge drug problem. Uh, Orange County has a huge problem, as I think all counties do, with domestic violence, but also sex trafficking as well. And so that's that's the, the impact. Um, I think that's the impact issue right there is that there, it's a very human trafficking is very common and it's still subtle. And I think that's a big, uh, a big part of the reason why um, it's growing is because it's subtle. It's underground. You probably wouldn't be able. And, and, and even though I've worked with so many um, sex trafficking victims myself, if I was walking down the street right now and, and, and someone who was a victim passed me by, I may not even know, you know, even though I've been working with them for so, you know, for, for, for a while now. So I just, I, I think that's the biggest issue is that it's, it's widespread, it's growing. Um, and even here in the United States, in this first world country, human trafficking is an issue. Thank you for sharing that, that, you know, even though, you know, we're walking down the street, you may not even notice who is being trafficked, right? And, right. and I, and, and the fact that, you know, that human trafficking has two categories, like labor trafficking and sex trafficking. Yes. How, like right now, what are the numbers? Like how widely spread is it? Oh, it's, it's pretty widely spread. So um, there was a recent um, U.S. Department of Justice uh, stat. Uh, and actually, this one came from, and, and no, this one came from the Polaris Project. So the Polaris Project is a nonprofit organization in Washington, D.C. They provide a lot of stats and information on uh, uh human trafficking, sex trafficking in particular. And so the numbers is uh, are 27 million, approximately 27 million people, males and females, mostly women though, uh, globally who are victims or survivors of sex or of human trafficking. Now I will say when, when it comes to numbers, it's kind of hard to quantify because it's, it's very hard to quantify because most victims of trafficking are not reporting it. Uh, the numbers are coming from uh, maybe a young lady who's, or, or women who are in a, a sex trafficking, um, or a program, a program, a residential program that caters to that population or maybe numbers of arrest of women who have been arrested for, for human trafficking. But it's a very difficult thing to quantify because people are not reporting it. It's underreported for that reason. Um, but estimated, it's estimated that 27 million people globally are victims of sex trafficking. That's all in this country and in other countries as well. Um, in the United States, we can, we can, we can, Sur- surmise that it's it's a pro- uh, at least hundreds of thousands of women each year are being trafficked and most most in the United States not all but most are american born women so you know the belief that this is only happening in other places in developing countries because it couldn't possibly happen here is completely false most of the women here and most of the the, the women who i've met and come in contact with who are sex trafficking victims are american born they may not be california californians or born in california but they are American born. Wow, that's such a scary number yes. to yeah. just to imagine that that many women globally and also here in the US. Yes. Wow. And that's wonderful that your organization is helping women that are victim of human trafficking. Your organization also provides program for women 
who who were victims of domestic violence as well. And how what yes. is the impact of that in the U.S. right now? What's the numbers on domestic violent cases? Yes. Yeah, so, I, I, you know, I first want to say I, I really wanted to work with survivors of domestic violence as well. I'm not a uh, I've never been a, a direct victim of domestic violence, but I have witnessed it. My grandmother, who was a wonderful woman, she's no longer living. Um, but my grandfather wasn't so nice to her. He was physically and emotionally abusive. And and I did witness that. Um, and I think being the indirect victim, someone who actually witnesses it, doesn't experience it personally, but witnesses it is just as bad as actually actually experiencing it yourself. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to work with victims of, of domestic violence as well. I think a woman who has been um, in, a, in an abusive relationship through domestic violence can also relate to a woman who's been exploited sexually. So I wanted to work with both groups. Now with domestic violence, domestic violence is extremely common. Um, the stats will show that one in three, you'll see some studies that will say one in four women have experienced domestic violence personally. Um, those numbers are probably much higher if we're if we're talking about the women who've witnessed it, or um, you know individuals who have witnessed domestic violence, males and females, and that number that number uh, would, would would probably be much higher. So domestic violence is extremely common. And another thing that I wanted to mention about domestic violence as well is that historically we've only um, kind of paid attention to uh, physical abuse <clears throat> because physical abuse is very real, and that's a big part of domestic violence. But we can't neglect the other um, forms of domestic violence that does not that doesn't leave scars like the emotional abuse, the, the uh, financial abuse, the sexual abuse. Usually a woman who is physically abused is also emotionally abused. She was probably emotionally abused first. That's probably how it started off before uh, it got it progressed to the to the physical abuse. So domestic violence is extremely, extremely common. It does not matter your race your academic background, that can't protect you from it. Um, your race can't protect you from it. Your your sexual orientation can't protect you from it. Domestic violence is, is extremely common. And, and, and if you have not experienced it personally, more than likely, you know someone who has. Um, so it's, it's yeah, it's it's very common. Those are shocking numbers as well. Like it could be one in, one in three or one in four women who yes. have experienced domestic violence. And, and I would imagine that it may be underreported because there may be a sense of shame and guilt. Absolutely. And so that is um, underreported. And, and, you know, what can we as a society do to help address human trafficking and domestic violence? What do you think? That's really a great question. You know, before I, I kind of get into the evidence-based practice, because I want to kind of talk to your listeners and to you just from a woman's perspective, just how I would talk to friends who were all gathered around and we're talking without putting all of the um, the academic stuff in it. So I want to talk like kind of talk straight um, first. So I think I think, first of all, people have to understand that no woman wants to get into it, wants to be um, in an abusive relationship. And I think we have to come from that understanding first, instead of being judgmental and saying, um, oh my gosh, how could she be with that person? Or how could she bring that type of person around her kids? I can understand that. I've been that person before too. And it's easy to judge when you're not in the situation. So I think that we have to first kind of get out of the mindset of um, how could she, how dare she, and try try to be more understanding 
understanding um, of the situation at hand. Um, can take a look at your own life and your own personal experiences and the own uh, your own decisions that you that you've made, whether it be relational decisions or some financial decisions or whatever it may be, that may not have been the best decisions. You know, so that's kind of how I approach women who have experienced domestic violence. I, I come to them with no judgment because even though I have not been in the exact situation, my choices haven't always been perfect when it comes to relationships. So I think that's the first thing that we have to do is we have to approach women or, or people who we know may be in that type of situation um, without criticizing, without being critical. They already feel critical of themselves. They they don't need any, any further um, criticizing or, or indefinitely not, not judgment. I think that's number one. But looking at it from like an evidence-based practice perspective, um, I, I think trauma, that like understanding trauma, tra- the trauma-informed approach, understanding trauma-informed care, understanding what trauma does to a person, um, that can be very helpful in how you deal with a person, how you approach a person, um, how, you, how you talk to a person, how you interact a person interact with a person. So anyone who's in social services have heard of trauma-informed care or the trauma-informed approach. And if you haven't, that's definitely something that you want to look into, um, maybe take a workshop or a course on it, because it has a lot to do with how you develop a relationship with people who've experienced trauma. And, and I think that's the most, like two of the most important things we can do is come from a place of understanding, incorporate that trauma-informed approach. Also, if you have any resources for that woman, um, definitely provide her with the resources. And in her time, on her timing, we can't force anyone to get out of a relationship. So in her timing, hopefully she will accept some of those resources and get out of the situation that she's in. Wow. Um. Thank you for sharing that, that what we can do as a society to um, support women and what can we do to help your organization to move forward its mission? Well, and so House of Overcome is fairly new. Not, not It's newish. It's newish because we're five years old now. So we're still kind of at that grassroots level. That's how I see us. Um, but we're a very impactful organization. We've been doing some free. Every, every service that we provide is free. We've been doing free support groups and confidence building workshops for a little over about three years now at the Anaheim Library. That has been placed on halt um, just for right now while the, the pandemic is, is going on. Um, but we also uh, provide uh, what's called the court accompaniment program, CAP. And the court accompaniment program is basically where we provide transport to and from the Orange County Courthouse for any woman 18 and over who would like to get a restraining order against either her trafficker or her spouse or partner. Um, we will help her to complete all of that difficult, you know, what what can be difficult, um, the restraining order paperwork, we're there with her and for her from the very beginning to the very end. We provide all of that assistance with her emotional support as we sit there with her and walk her through the process. And then we make sure that she gets home safely through transport. Right now, we can't do the transport part, once again, because of the, the pandemic. We're definitely still taking calls. We can walk process over the phone, you know, and I think the most important way that people can can help us is by um, exposure. Right now, what we're looking for as a new organization is exposure. And this is why I'm so grateful to be be here today. And I'm grateful to you to, for, for um, allowing me to be on your, your podcast. Um, 
this morning. But yeah, the exposure is really important for us. We have a Facebook page. Um, I'm more active on Facebook than anything. So um, the Facebook page, if you could share our post, if you could like our page, share our page with your friends, because see what that does is that that, um, that once again, it provides that exposure. And I think that's the key word for us that other people will come onto our page and kind of see what we're all about. I have some really great information about domestic violence and sex trafficking on that page as well. So one of the most important things for us right now um, is to get the word out about who we are, what we do, the services that we provide. We have great services. And and I could not speak confidently um, about these services or about House of Overcome if I didn't feel like we were doing the work that we put in the work, that we're passionate about what we do, that we love what we do. We don't charge a dime for anything, anything that we do. Um, so the, the the sharing and the liking our page is one. And also, and two, you can also donate to our program. You can go to houseofovercome.org. And if you, on the homepage, if you scroll to the very bottom, you'll see where you can, um, where, where you'll be able to donate. So that's also very helpful. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that helps us see that like, even if we're not trained as social workers, but we can help um, spread the message and by exactly. and then sharing this information. Because I think a lot of people may not know like where, like who are victims of domestic violence or sex trafficking, that there right. is help and that they can get help safely. And the fact yeah. that you provide transportation, I think that's a, that's a safe mode of coming to a place and without being followed or scared yeah. that they're going to leave tracks where that person could um, do additional harm. So right. given that the pandemic now has impacted, you know, people's way of life, like most people have to stay home. And I would imagine that a lot of women who may be victims of domestic violence or sex trafficking are now stuck at home with that person. So what are some things that are things that they can do or your organization is helping out, um, reaching out to them? See, and this is what makes House of Overcome a, a, a little unique. And, and don't get me wrong, when I, there are, are other great organizations in Orange County doing good work as well. Um, but I think, you know, where we're a little unique is that, um, definitely speaking for myself, is that I make sure to maintain contact with the women that I work with. It, it goes a little bit beyond, of course, it's a professional relationship that I have with them. Um, But I really do care about the people who I work with. They know that. I know that. And so it's not just a business as usual thing for me. I maintain contact all the time. They know my number. They know they can get in contact with me if they need to, if they have any questions, if they if they just need to talk. And some of the women have done that. You know, actually quite a few of the women have done that. I definitely make myself available in that way. Um, I was just speaking to someone yesterday about, you know, an, an issue she was having and she knows that she can call me regardless, you know, even though it's not, a not you know, nine between the hours of nine to five, it doesn't matter. They know that they can call me and get in contact with me if they need to. Right now what we're doing is we're still taking calls. We're still taking calls if someone needs a referral somewhere, whether it be for housing, a food bank, medical services, 
we're still taking calls. We're still providing the resources. If they need help with completing the restraining order, um, we can walk them through that over the phone because the restraining orders can be downloaded online. So we can still walk them through every bit of it, any questions they may have about the restraining order or about the court process uh, pertaining to the restraining order, we can help them out with that. So we can still provide services over the phone. We could use Google Hangouts. Um, their, their services can still be provided. We just now we have to get creative on how we provide them, um, but the services can definitely still be provided and nothing stops uh, at House of Overcome because of the pandemic. Now, it, it has had to be, um, you know, changed a bit. You know, there are certain things that we can't do, of course, because of the self-quarantine and everything. But I think that's where I and other nonprofits have to get um, creative in how we're communicating um, with the people we work with. So V, I would like if you could maybe share more about those services and programs. I know mm -hmm. that you mentioned that you help them fill out paperwork, but yes. what are other programs? Because I would imagine that they need medical assistance and also psychological and mental health assistance. So yes, how do, yes. what programs can you um, elaborate on? Okay. So, I, you know what, I'm so glad you asked that question. I, um, because I didn't really talk about the support group and the workshop as much. Um, so we have, we have support groups um, and the support groups are only twice per month. And I shouldn't say only, I shouldn't say only because they're, they're really, they're really great support groups. And then immediately after this, the support group um, is our confidence building workshop and it's called Funk You. That's F-H-U-N-K-Y-O-U. And we talk about um, things like self-esteem, self-care, red flags in a relationship, um, what, are, what a healthy relationship looks like versus what a toxic relationship looks like. Um, at, every, at every single meeting, there is food. We have dinner because the meetings are in the evening now. We have dinner. Um, discussion is always better over with dinner, with food. So we come together, we have food, we talk, we discuss these things. Um, and I think this is not group therapy yet. It's very therapeutic because anytime you're around someone who's experienced some of the same things that you have and who can relate to you and you don't feel judged and you're in a comfortable space amongst a small group of women who know exactly what you're talking about, that within itself is therapeutic. So when those women come and they know they're, they're, they're there amongst their sisters, not their blood sisters, but their sisters through experience, they know that they're there with me, a facilitator who is not there to judge, uh, to talk about, to throw their past in their face. Like none of us can afford to do that. We've all, we've all, we all have a past. Um, so that within itself is, is very therapeutic. And I think that's why our retention is so good. Uh, women love to come. Women want to be there. At least most of them do. And uh, they enjoy being there. It's, not, it's, it's never something that I can force anyone to do. These are not required groups. These are voluntary groups. And um, we, just, we just talk about a lot of the things that pertain to them, that pertain to their situations, to their stories, um, to their lives. And it's very informative, um, yet it's an informal setting and we just, we have a good time. So that within itself is therapeutic, but if they want the one-on-one -on -one therapy um, that most women need after experiencing, you know, what they've experienced, I can definitely refer them. Um, I'm pretty familiar with a lot of different resources in Orange County. Orange County is big, but it's not that big. And I'm pretty, um, you know, familiar with a lot of the resources here. And I can definitely refer them to, um, to different, uh, either social workers or therapists or um, psychologists who they can speak 
with one-on-one. So that's that's the other part of the program. Outside of the court accompaniment program, we also have support groups and we also have confidence building workshops. Thank you for organizing all these programs and workshops and dinners and these social <laughs> gatherings because I think it makes make such a difference that, you know, it's not just um, like a, a, a website that people just get factual information, but there's actually a person on the other side of this website really gets to know you at a personal level and give you space, a safe space um, to be yourself. And that is so rare to find that. So really thank you for having this organization. So V, like, how did you come up with the idea of establishing the House of Overcome and even the name and the type of programs that you just shared? Well, you know what, um, Dr. Chan, I've been I've been in social services for so long, like it's been a little over 15 years now. Um, I love social services. I love working in nonprofit with nonprofit organizations. Most of the, the companies that I've ever worked for have been nonprofit organizations, and most of them have been wonderful. I think most nonprofits are genuine, are legit, and do great work. Um, and But I just felt like, for me, it just made sense to kind of branch off on my own. I kind of feel like I'm a leader, uh, you know, by nature. I've always had more of a... Uh, 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 what's the word for it? I've always, I've always looked at myself as a leader, you know, and um, I, so even though I had, I've had some wonderful bosses over the years, but I, I kind of felt like, you know what, I've worked in nonprofits for so long. I've worked with at-risk populations for so, for so long. Um, there's always something more to learn, something that I can, you know, um, get better at or improve at. But for the most part, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do. So I want to branch off and do my own thing. It was like the next logical step for me is to start my own organization and and have more of a say in the direction of the organization. I think you can only do that when you start your own. And uh, so that's what I did. That's what I did. I did that five years ago or almost five years ago. Um, And I'm I'm so glad I did. I'm I'm so glad I did. And House of Overcome, the reason why I came up with that title is because ultimately the vision for the organization is to be a transitional living home. Uh, 18 month long, a long term transitional living home for uh, victims of uh, domestic violence and sex trafficking. And so I felt like House of Overcome was appropriate because anytime a woman who gets out of those types of relationships or circumstances, you have to be an overcomer. It's such a difficult situation to be in. Both both situations are so difficult to be in that if you can get out of it or if you're trying to get out of it, you are an overcomer. It's a very difficult thing to do. And not everybody makes it out. So for anyone who does or really putting forth that effort, you are an overcomer. And so I just felt like House of Overcome was an appropriate name for the organization, given the population that I work with. I know that you mentioned the programs and the services that the organization provides. What about housing? I think that's probably one of the biggest um, questions that most victims are thinking, are thinking like, okay, if I were to leave this situation, where will I go and live? Absolutely. And see, this is why I would love, and that's, that's one of the main 
immediate needs. So if you're if you're working with d- domestic violence survivors or trafficking survivors, they're trying to get out um, because most are very dependent on the abuser. And so when they're trying to get out, where do I go? And though California is a huge state, Orange County is pretty big as well. I think the resources are lacking. You have some great programs here in California, but not enough. If we're talking about the number of women compared to the number of services, you have way more people ne- uh, uh, who are needing the services than we have the services to provide. And this is why I really look forward in the near future to House of Overcome being able to provide housing, immediate housing and long term housing, not 30 day shelter, not, you know, a three week, you know, two week uh, shelter, though there's nothing wrong. Shelters are important, too. But ultimately, they need a place to not just go for a short period of time, but go to be able to rebuild a foundation and get back on their feet again. And that's ultimately what I would love, love, love to do right now because we do not provide housing. Um, I'm glad we provide the emotional support, but they need more than emotional support. And this is why we provide the referrals as well. We cannot provide housing, but we can definitely provide the referrals. They may not know of different shelters or transitional living homes in the community, but I do, you know, and then the hope would be that those places that I refer them to um, have openings because a lot of times they're full, you know, and that goes back to what I was saying a few seconds ago is, is this is why we need more housing resources. And a lot of times because we don't, because they are full oftentimes, a lot of the women go right back to the situations they, they, they came from and, and that they tried so hard to get away from. So I, I'm, I really have high hopes and, and uh, for House of Overcome, I think it would be a much needed additional resource to the resources that we already have here in Orange County. Well, that's great that your organization provides referrals to places for housing or temporary housing or transitional housing. Once they uh, make contact with these organizations, what is the wait time to find a placement or how? what's the process or criteria for a woman who are in the situation to have temporary housing? So an, another really great question. I used to work at a place, it's in Los Angeles County, but it's not far from Orange County at all. And it's called Women's, Women's Crisis, Women and Children's Crisis Shelter. It's a 30-day, a great program, by the way. It's a 30-day program for uh, victims of domestic violence and their children, a 30-day shelter program. Um, when women call the hotline, they can get in right away, literally right away the same day if there's an opening. And so for a lot of shelters, if there are openings immediately, then the women can get in right away. Either they'll have an Uber or a cab come pick them up from the local police station or you know, wherever every uh, organization has their, their own protocol for that. But most, most of the time, if there's an opening, opening um, that, you know, the woman can get in immediately. If there's not, she may have to wait and see the, the, once again, the problem is, is that we have more women needing the services than we have the services to provide. So usually when you call these, these homes or these shelters, they are full. They will say, well, call us back tomorrow because anything can happen where someone may voluntarily leave or maybe even be, you know, exited from the program, kicked out of the program. So even though Tuesday, it may be full to capacity on Wednesday, they may have an opening or on Thursday, they may have an opening. So it's like a constant calling, calling, calling. Do you have an opening? They may say yes. They may say no. Um, that is the hard part, though. And that's why I would say for any woman who is in a, an abusive relationship seeking to get out of that relationship, um, have your list of places that you want to go to calling. Keep call, when, when it's safe to call, keep calling and keep calling every day because sooner or later there will be an opening. There just may not be one right away. And unfortunately, that's the 
the the society that you know that we live in right now when it comes to housing resources there aren't a whole lot i was also wondering you know in many of these situations the women may be a mother with children and if the domestic violence also happens with the children what are resources for that whole family i mean for the women to take their kids Mm-hmm. Get referral? Do your program provide assistance in that, like more of a family um, services? Like, how does that work? I mean, I know you work in social services. So in that right. case, are the children taken away from the family because the mom is in a domestic violence situation? Yeah. But then that would make the, and in some case, I wonder if that would deter women from even asking for help, you know, if they're scared that they may take their kids away from that situation. Right, right. Well, you know what? Uh, Sometimes it does. It just depends on the situation. For the most part, no social worker. And and I I don't work in child protective services, but I definitely have experience in in what I've seen with it at the shelters that I've worked in the past. Um, Can a child be removed or can children be removed from a parent who's in an abusive relationship? Absolutely. I've actually seen it happen before. And the child was removed only temporarily. Um, But, uh, and that's certainly not the goal of child protective services. Uh, The goal is for a child to be with their parent at all time or with their parents all the time. That's the priority. Um, That's always the goal. But if mom is in an abusive relationship and by some, you know, some way she's involved with the, you know, DCFS, um, if she continues to, to, to stick with that relationship or in that relationship where she's also putting her child in harm's way, just even by witnessing it. I mean, there was once a time when witnessing domestic violence wasn't enough to remove a child from the home. Uh, Nowadays, it doesn't matter how great of a parent you are, your your parenting skills will be called into question with that social worker if the child is even witnessing domestic violence in the home. Um, So though the priority is for the child to stay in the home, the child has to be in a safe home. The child has to be in a stable home as well. If DCFS gets involved, it can be a, a long process of, of a very uncomfortable situation. So um, yeah, that, that can definitely be an issue. Now we, House of Overcome does not, um, the housing that we will provide in the, the near future, God willing, um, it won't, it won't be for families. It's, it's just for women, women, women only. There are other um, organizations that do provide shelter for families, for entire families right here in Orange County. You have Thomas House, uh, you know, you have uh, Colette's Home, um, Women and Children's Crisis Shelter, um, you know, so there are, there are definitely places that provide shelter for the entire family or for mom and child. I will say, though, that the good thing about House of Overcome, even though it will be a, a housing program for women only, is that when a woman is, is in a program where she can get back on her feet, she's going to be a better mother. When she leaves that program, whether it's after 18 months or three months or five months, and she gets the services that she needs, she's going to to be a better mother once she leaves. And it also doesn't mean that she can't visit her children. She can't talk to her children. She can't FaceTime her children. She can't, you know, have recreational, uh, you know, dates with her children. Um, she can still have communication and contact with her children. It's just that House of Overcome won't provide accommodation for the family. There are other programs, great programs that do that. So V, I was wondering if you could share a story of someone impacted by your program. Like we don't have to say the, you don't have to share the actual name, but just Mm -hmm. so that our listeners can see like from the beginning that they contact you or your, or your, or your organization, like 
how long were they in the program? Like, what did they go through? And and, and like you said, like this is the how for house of overcome, and so they become overcomers. Can you share with us of a story of transformation? Absolutely, I have one, and I still keep in contact with her to this day. She is amazing. She uh, is from. She lives in California, but she is from Chicago. She. Uh, was a part of the support group and the confidence building workshops, mainly the the support groups though. And she was a a part of the support groups for a while. Um, She is doing amazing now. I still work with her. And when I say work with her, she's no longer a part of the support groups or in the program. She's doing perfectly fine and doing well on her own now, but she was a part of the groups for, for a while. And we still keep in contact right now. She has her own ministry. She actually even wrote a, uh, a curriculum for victims of domestic violence and sex trafficking. I believe it's called the female empowerment program. I actually ordered it uh, about a week ago through Amazon and I'm going to be using her curriculum in my upcoming, my future um, groups. Uh, she is amazing. And she is probably one of the stories and there, there are others as well, but she's one of the stories that really, really stand out because of what she's been able to do after the fact. Um, She's gone through a lot, a whole lot. She has two children. She lives, she does live here in Orange County. And like I said, we do keep in contact a lot because she's doing so many great, great things. She was doing good things before, um, but a lot of the things that she was going through kind of got in the way. So now she's doing amazing, absolutely amazing. The stories that actually, that really stands out for me because of all the things that she's doing. But yes, yes, that's that's the the main one I can think of right now. Oh, well, that's great to have a story of inspiration and transformation, like, like women in these very tough situations, like either having experienced self-trafficking or domestic violence, that their sense of power is taken from them, like their choice of life is taken from them. And, you know, here, like right now in today's society, like many cities are experiencing the pandemic. And so we're forced to stay home. A lot of our privileges are or I guess our um, entertainment of life is taken yeah. away from us. But, you know, and, and I can see there's some suffering, you know, at this very modest level, but I can't even imagine at this other level where women are just taking away all these privileges, rights of human rights, health right. rights, you know, without even having a say for, I would say for a very extended period of time and to be able to go through a program like yours and to come out as an overcomer and to pursue her own passions and to share her journey through a curriculum to share with other people. I think that's very empowering for people to to understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially I I think because a a lot of these women who get into um, abusive relationships or exploitative relationships have experienced abuse all throughout their lives. So now it's a re-victimization at this point, you know, and I think that's why programs like House of Overcome are so important. And I'm talking about programs, plural, because House of Overcome is as wonderful as we are. We can't do it alone. Thank God for other programs who are also doing the work because we need options. We really do need options. And I think the more, the better. It's not about comparing one program to another program. Like I'm not in comparison or comparing my my program or myself with anyone. It's not about that. It's about working together and whatever I can provide, perhaps you can, whatever you can provide, we can. It's really about working together, filling in service gaps because it's not about us. It's about them. And if I was a victim of sex trafficking or domestic violence, I would want to go, I would want there to be multiple programs of 
available to me that I can go to because maybe one can, you know, do one thing and then the other program can do something completely different. And I'm getting a little, little bits and pieces from all of them, you know, and, and, and that empowerment piece is so important because you, you, you're, it's a part of getting your esteem back or, or getting self, having self-esteem for the first time, you know, getting your confidence back. That's what programs like House of Overcome does. That's what we do, you know, and that's why the support groups and the workshops and even the, the, the court accompaniment program is so, so, so important. So I'm really proud of House of Overcome. I'm proud of what we do. I will continue to do it no matter what, you know, and, um, and, and once again, I'm, I'm grateful that you've even allowed me to be on your program to talk about on your podcast to talk about it. Thank you. Oh, thank you for your time, V, for sharing what you're doing. I mean, what you're doing right now is a part of a public health system, right? I mean, public health is about providing services and protecting the health of our communities. And sometimes, um, you know, people think of health in terms of like, it's the the, um, reduction of infection and, and reduction of like, chronic diseases, but it's also about emotional problems, right? I mean, human trafficking, domestic violence, there's physical harm and emotional harm. And so public health programs as, as such as yours can really have an impact in society because that woman impacts if they're, you know, if they're in a family, their children and how their children is going to grow up is going to be impacted what they see at the home. Right. right. And then is there going to be increased violence, you know, in society, right. That's going to be, you know, how can just from one helping one woman can have an impact in your community, in your neighborhood, uh, in your city. So right. there is definitely a ripple effect. And I also really apply you that, you know, I really love the fact that you said that, you know, the pie, there's many pies out there. There's not like, if I, if you just <laughs> a little slice of my pie, I get less of a pie. I really, right. really apply you that, you know, encouraging people to step up, that it's that, and to share resources and that we need more people to um, have more public programs, to do more public service, like social service, like yours. You know, this is not like a dog eat dog world, like, at least in public health. Like, I don't feel that, right? It's about how right. can we work together collectively? So like following on that note, be like, what are some good business practices you can share for someone who's interested in starting up their own nonprofit, whether it's for um, mm-hmm. social work uh, like related to self trafficking or like sex trafficking or domestic violence, but anything like, or it could be a nonprofit for something else, like in public health, like what are, right. what are good business practices um, you can share? Like well, since you started, since you started it five years ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think well, one of the things that I did, which I think is really, really, really important is know what you're getting yourself into. Do the research, know, know what you're about to get yourself into because starting a nonprofit is not easy. Um, it is not a for-profit business, but it is still a business for, for, for the greater good, but it's still a business. And some of the same um, business ethics or business rules that applies with a for-profit business also applies with a nonprofit, you want to know what you're getting into. You want to research. So if you want to start a nonprofit, which I think is very noble, what do you want to start a nonprofit in? What 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 is your what is your mission? What population do you want to help? Do you want to help um, the homeless population? Well, okay, that's great. Well, what do you know about the homeless population? What do you know about homelessness? Uh, don't just start an organization because you're you, you know you're excited and you you have a, a save the world attitude. It's a great attitude to have, but that attitude needs to be accompanied 
accompanied with uh, or, or needs to be supported by knowledge and information. And because perhaps if you really found out all that you had to do to get it started, you may not even want to do it. It's not easy. And I'm not discouraging anyone from do- doing it. Do it if it's your purpose. Do it if that's what you you know you feel you're, you're called to do. It's definitely what I felt I was called to do. So even when I hit those challenges and roadblocks, and there were several, um, it didn't deter me from doing it because I still felt like that's what I was purposed to do. So the motivation was still there. The energy was still there. You know, so I would say to anyone who wants to start a, a rather be a for or a nonprofit, do your research for how that needs to get done. Do your research for what a 501c3 is, what does it, or, or what is a tax exempt, what that tax exempt status is, what it takes to get that tax exempt status. Um, what do you have to do yearly for the upkeep of that or, uh, nonprofit organization? It's not easy. So you just want to make sure that you know what you're getting into. You do your research. Once you have your research at hand, you know exactly what you need to do. You'll feel more confident about starting the organization because you can, you, you kind of have the expectations of the good and the bad you know so um that i think would be definitely the most the most important you will be very successful if you know what you're getting yourself into and if it's something that you're really passionate about v i think one question i think are in people's mind is you know they may have an idea but the question is like should i form a for-profit that does social good or should i just focus on forming a nonprofit? and what are some differences and what made you decide to go with the nonprofit route well not i've worked with nonprofits for so long and i just love working in nonprofits. but i'd rather be on the nonprofit management end at this point. Um, now, when I was 18 years old, I, I wasn't even thinking about nonprofit management. I wanted to get as much experience as I possibly could. And I have a lot of experience now, and there's always more to learn. I'm, I'm one to believe in uh, continuing education and improving. I, I never want to be the smartest one in the room. I think that's a problem within itself. I, I, I love to be around other smart people because I'm constantly wanting to learn, you know, so um for me, starting a nonprofit just made sense given my background. Um, and with a for-profit, it's, it's actually pretty similar. It's just that a for-profit, it's it's uh, people are financially, individuals are financially benefiting from the profit that they receive. Whereas with a nonprofit organization, the, the monies are going into or is going into the organization to further the mission of the organization, to broaden the programs or the quality of the programs, you know, and uh, and that's what's most important um, for me. With a, a for-profit organization, you can still do great work. You can still do social good, even with the for-profit organization. It's just that individuals are benefiting from that financially, which there's nothing wrong with that either if their heart is in the right place. And if the the money is not the main priority, but actually getting the job done and doing it, doing it right. So at the end of the day, whether it's a for-profit or a non-profit, uh, that part doesn't matter so much is where is my, what are the motives of my heart? You know, is my heart really in this or do I have some other motive? Now, if you have some other motive that's not legitimate, that's not genuine, um, you won't be in the business for too long, whether it's a nonprofit or a for-profit. You won't be there for too long. It's going to crumble or you're going to crumble at at some point in time. Um, And that's why I think the passion is what's most important. Your love for it, your experience, um, your know-how, all of that has to come together. Yeah, that's so true. It has to stem from passion and and also your values of what type of contribution you want to make. 
mm-hmm. professionally and, and personally. And especially like during times like this of uncertainty of the economy, like there's layoffs and just, you know, everyone's, it's a lot of small businesses are closed, cl- clients and customers are not available. And even in your, in your organization, I, I imagine that maybe women are less, are, can't really travel outside now because they can't, right. you know, but I mean, now because everything's on the internet, they can connect with you virtually. So, I mean, yeah. at the same time, like, you know, not seeing that floodgate of people coming in may deter someone from like, oh, I'm not making a huge profit anymore. Am I making an impact? But if it stems from true passion and based on your values, regardless of one person or hundred person, you're making an impact on one person, right? Absolutely. So, you know what I'm saying? So it, I think that's so true. Like if it has to really stem from passion and to follow up on that note, like, you know, since you've decided to go for the nonprofit route, like, can you share advice on like marketing operation and funding? Like how do you communicate your offering and what is your organizational structure? Um, like, I'm just curious in terms of employees or how do you outsource or volunteers? Right. And then also a lot of your services are offer free, are, are free to, yes. um, to, to, your, to your participants. So, but how is that funded to keep your organization afloat? Okay, so first of all, with our with our structure, it's pretty traditional, um, but we do not have paid employees. I would love to to have that at some point in time. That will happen in the future, um, the near future. That will happen. That will definitely happen. But right now, we do have, of course, we have a we we are a five hundred one c three. Uh, tax-exempt nonprofit organization. We do have a board of directors, a small board of directors, and we have volunteers. Uh, me, um, as the executive director and founder, I'm not one of those executive directors who's, you know, sitting at a desk on a, on a computer all day doing all of the administrative work. Administra- administrative work is very important as an ED, but I'm the type of person who like to be hands-on, like to be involved in the best way, not a bad way, <laughs> in the best way. And um, I love being involved. I love knowing what's going on instead of delegating to everyone else and then finding out from someone else what, what's happening, what's going on here. What's Nothing wrong with that. Everyone has their own style, but I really do like to be a part of what's, of what's going on and a part of the growth of this organization, a part of its impact. And um, so, yeah, so with the organization, with, um, with funding, um, we get funding from different, several different streams. First of all, I, um, I fund, I, I work part-time, um, at Goodwill, which is a, 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 a program called My Sister's Keeper, also working with victims of sex trafficking. Um, and it's a part-time job, so it allows me to focus a lot on House of Overcome as well. But I pour my funds into the organization. Um, the board of directors, the we have a small board of directors, but they're um, uh, very generous in helping out as well. We also just received a uh, grant from an organization called the Pollination Project in Berkeley, California. Um, and it was a seed grant, but it was a very, very, it was very, very helpful and allowed us to start our uh, legal advocacy program, which is CAP, the Court Accompaniment Program. Um, we also have partnerships. Most of our partnerships are, are non-paid, but one is paid. And so uh, we, we get we get funding through, and we also get in-kind donations as well. Um, and, and also with the, the 501c3 letter that we have, we can get discounts on food and discounts on, you know, when we go to the grocery store because we do purchase food for the support groups and the workshops. Um, so yes, it's, it's it comes from different sources. Our, our services are um, free. 
Um, but with the with the funding that we get in with, you know, through self-funding, me self-funding uh, the program as well, we've been able to stay afloat. We haven't had any major um, issues, but I know that as the program grows and once we get a home and different things like that, um, you know, the grant funding and the donors and all of that's going to be extremely helpful um, to us even more than, even now, but definitely more than. We haven't had any major issues with, um, you know, funding or financing answers or anything like that. We've been able to stay afloat and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Mm. And how do you market your programs and your services? Oh yeah. Okay. So we market through um, a, a number of different ways. Uh, I am on Facebook. We do have a website, houseofovercome.org. That's H-O-U-S-E O-F-O-V-E-R C-O-M-E dot org. Um, I'm also on Instagram. I'm not very active on Instagram, though it's mostly Facebook. I should be active on Instagram, really, but uh, Facebook and our website. But I also do a lot of um, networking. So I go to a lot of the, the one of the reasons why I'm, f- I'm so familiar with a lot of companies and, and people and organizations in Orange County is because I put myself out there. Um, if you want your the exposure, once again, is really, really, really important. And you can't get exposure sitting at home, you know, or going to work and then coming straight home. Like you have to get out there. You have to put yourself out there um, to, to be met and for people to know about who you are, what you do, for people to be able to see you face to face, shake hands with you, speak to you, talk to you, and kind of see what you're all about, what your organization is all about. And I definitely do that. There are several different meetings here um, that take place once a month, sometimes twice a month here in Orange County. I make sure I'm at those meetings. My mom has also been very, very helpful um, in just this whole process. She goes out to the meetings as well because she's just as passionate about this organization as I am. So she goes out to the meetings as well. If I can't make it, she does. As a matter of fact, she goes to the every month to the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force meeting up in Santa Ana, um, California. So um, it's it's the websites, it's the social media, um, but it's also getting out there and networking and meeting people. The advice that you just shared is applicable to anyone Absolutely. working in nonprofit or for-profit, right? It's thinking about how to market their services and using social media channels. And I mean, the organizational structure is different for a for-profit and nonprofit, but funding, I mean, funding through um, like funding your programs, either through actual monetary funds, or through grants, or even through volunteer is a way to keep your organization afloat. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's great to hear. You know, given that we're in a current tough situation, a historical moment with the coronavirus pandemic, how has that impacted your organization? Like, did you have to close down programs? Did you notice any decrease in funding or reduction in participants? Not necessarily a decrease in funding, but there are certain programs that we we've had to place on halt for right now, on hold um, for right now, like the um, the conf- the confidence building workshops, also the um, the the support groups. But with the the CAP program, the co- the court accompaniment program, we do take calls over the phone. We do walk women through the restraining order process over the phone. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, we can't do the transports right now, um, but uh, that will be up and running. I, I really do believe, I mean, it's sad what's going on right now. It's it's horrible. It's almost like surreal. Can't even believe what's going on right now. But I do believe um, that 
it will pass. I really do. I really do believe that there is a light at the end of the tunnel with all of this. As crazy as that may sound in this moment, I believe that something good is going to come out of it. Um, I do believe that uh, the program will be up and running fully again soon. How soon? I don't know. But I definitely want to make sure that I'm getting creative and doing the as much as I can remotely, um, that's just as effective as if I was there with them in person. So, yeah. Mm. And what type of advice can you offer to other founders of nonprofits and people working in nonprofit during this time of uncertainty? Right. Right. Um, And I know this sounds cliche. I hate to sound cliche. I I hate like talking points or sounding cliche or anything. I, I, I hate that, but, but I, I, I have to say that to keep your head up, to keep your head up. And I know that's easier said than done in times like these. I've, I've you know, we, we've all had have have had challenges. So rather it's uh, with a nonprofit organization, even for profit organizations are being uh, impacted. Everybody is being impacted, no matter, you know, who you are, what business you're, you're in. And I would just say, keep your head up. And the reason why I say that is because as a leader of an organization or rather you're a leader or you're, or you're not, you have some other role, it really doesn't matter. But definitely as a leader of the organization, you really have to stay positive because you are leading other people and other people are watching you. And once again, I know it's easier said than done. It's not easy. It's hard. I acknowledge that. I understand that. Um, but me being negative or, or you know, it, it, it hasn't made the situation better. Me being negative, me leading in fear has not made the situation better for me. It will never make the situation better, whether it's this or something else. So I'd rather... Uh, I'd rather be positive. I do believe that there is a silver lining in all of this. I really do actually put that on my Facebook page about a week and a half ago. I really do believe that um, that something good will come out of this negative situation. Um, but as the leader of this organization, I can't be negative. I can't lead like that. I can't uh, have that type of energy around the people who I, who volunteer with me, who help me, who still call me to check on, to check on me. Um, keep your head up. Everything will be all right. That, that's, that's the main thing that I could say to anyone who has an organization right now, to anyone who's going through it right now. It's not hard for you and you only. It's hard for everybody. So keep your head up and know that you're not alone. We're all dealing with this together. I agree. I think right now is to keep our heads, um, like you said, to head up, head up and also to look forward, right? It's just like, yeah. I think right now it's like, it's right now it just seems so foggy and unclear what's going on, but it's just like moving one step at a time, but, but believing that, you know, we're all looking at the same horizon, which is that we're all going to rise over and overcome the situation. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, V, so what, what would you like our listeners to do to support your mission? I know you had mentioned about um, different ways in terms of like your um, to your organization, but just to overall in the mission of decreasing like sex trafficking and domestic okay. violence globally. Right. So I I would say definitely educate yourselves, educate yourselves. You can't really fix or work on or address something that you have no idea about, that you know nothing about. So definitely educate yourselves on what is domestic violence? What is sex trafficking? Um, What are the ways that I can identify a victim of domestic violence or sex trafficking? So it's not an easy thing to do, um, really, but um, you may personally know someone who is going through one of those situations. And then if you really don't know about what it is, you won't 
know what to do. So I would say educate yourselves. Um, create your own list of different resources in your community, whether it be um, uh, shelters or transitional living homes or medical facilities or, um, you know, therapists or, you know, counseling offices within your community so that if you did meet someone or if you do know someone who is needing help, you can provide that, that help to them. So one of the most important things you can do is educate yourselves. If you have children, well, educate yourself so you can talk to your children. If you have children, have those sit down discussions with your children about healthy relationships versus toxic relationships. And then of course, you know, I said this in a video that I did uh, a, a while ago, probably a year ago or so, is that we also have to lead by example. I'm not a parent yet, um, but if you are a parent, we want to lead by examples in, in, by example in our own lives and with the relationships that we have in our own lives so that we're not saying one thing and doing another. So I would say, yeah, the most important thing that we can do is educate ourselves, talk to our children so that they can be educated about it so that they know what signs to pick up on in certain situations. And then of course, lead by example. Well, thank you so much for um, these tips and ways to support this mission and just decreasing human trafficking, domestic violence, and that that we should treat each other with respect, with yes. humility, and with kindness. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so glad I, I, uh, I was able to to do this. This was this was awesome. This was a great conversation too. So thank you. Oh yeah, thank you so much, V. We really appreciate it. And is there a contact information you'd like to share with our listeners? Absolutely, yes. There are several different ways you can get in contact with me. Um, if you, uh, well, first of all, like I said, you can always go to the the website just to find out more about our organization, uh, House of Overcome. Uh, dot org. Um, and then you can reach me personally by cell, um, area code 773-302-7995. I used to live in Chicago. That's why I have the 773 area code. Uh, now I'm home in California, but you can reach me there. You can also reach me by email at houseofovercome at gmail.com. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn. If you want to connect, if you type in Vericia Miller, V-E-R-I-C-I-A, and last name is Miller, we can connect on LinkedIn as well. But those are the best ways to uh, get in contact. Oh, and also you can also shoot me a message uh, on the Facebook platform, also a direct message. So there are many different ways you can get in contact with me. Those are the main ways. Well, thank you so much, V. I mean, I think this is such a good opportunity for all of us to learn how we can empower each other in in difficult times and yes. that together we can work through this and everyone matters. And that yes. if you help one person, that person will have a ripple effect to other people. And that just even a small gesture of kindness can go a long way. It really can. It really can. And does. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. This, this was fun. Thank you. You have a wonderful, wonderful day. If you got questions about any of the episodes, feel free to reach out to me directly. And while you're there at it, please subscribe to the podcast and share the episode that you felt connected with so we could be a part of this collective invisible force called public health. Thanks.